0: This passage tonight is is interesting in in many respects, and we're going to see this. Um, It's a short chapter, uh, but I think it marks a turn in David's life where he is taking more initiative than he did before. Uh, As David has been fleeing uh, from Saul... It's more reactionary. Saul will do something. David reacts to it. Saul gets information that David is a certain place and David has to flee. Well, I think we've noticed this. I've I've mentioned this even with the situation with Abigail and Nabal and the second time that David met up with, with Saul or that Saul came upon pursuing David and David went to meet him to see what he was doing. And remember he took his, um, his spear and his jar of water, his sign of power and his ability to provide. David took those away secretly at night. The next day um, reprimanded his general, Saul's general Abner, for ab- 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 I can't say it tonight. abdicating. there we go, abdicating his duties, um, and then made it clear to King Saul. How close he was to death yet again and his remember what was David well let me ask you this we've been going through this for a while this is important what was David's main concern in all of his wanderings this is important you remember what was his main concern what he missed the most while he was wandering worship and specifically the corporate worship he could worship God personally That was still, he's writing psalms, he's praying to God, seeking God, but he missed the corporate worship. And he said, the main reason I want to be done with this and the main loss that I have had is I cannot worship together with God's people. I'm an outcast. They basically said, go worship somebody else's gods. We don't want you anymore. That's how David felt. And Saul, again, realizes how close he was to death and literally just kind of falls apart here. I have sinned, return my son David, for I will no more do ye harm. Well, we know how about how good that promise is, don't we? We made that before, and we're going to see um, that's not the case even in 27. Because my life was precious in your eyes this day, I have acted foolishly and have made a great mistake. Up and down in his emotions, uh, David returns his spear And Saul then, isn't it interesting in the last verse of chapter 26, uh, verse 25, after uh, David calls upon the Lord to decide between the two of them who is the righteous one. We all know who that is, right? It's not Saul. And David says, Lord, um, deal with the unrighteous and bless the faithful. Remember and deliver me out of all my tribulation. Isn't it interesting that Saul, remember, has cut himself off from all word of the Lord. He does not have access to God's word. God will not speak to him anymore. In the next couple of weeks, we're going to find out how desperate Saul gets, commits a really one of the greatest atrocities in the Jewish culture, because God will not speak to him. And yet, God will still use Saul to speak to David. Interesting. Saul said to David, Blessed be you, my son David. You will do many things and will succeed in them. So Saul is cut off from receiving his own personal message from God, but God uses him to prophesy that David will do many things and be successful. Remarkable in that. So David went his way and Saul returned to his place. Now, do you think that David thinks that everything's in the clear and he's okay? No. It- David's learned quite a bit right since Saul first started pursuing him and now God has given David the confidence and courage he's going to take initiative to take control or order his life situation toward more stability remember now he and his men they have families to take care of he married Ahinoam he's married to Abigail now Pretty soon, if not already, a hinoam will bear his first child, and uh, his men have families. You can't effectively take care of your family when you're constantly on the run, right? Running from cave to cave, running out in the wilderness. Here comes the, the maniacal king after you. Just not good stability for a home life. And David is now seeking out a more stable environment for his army, and we're going to see an unusual but well thought out in effective manner. And yet it's still a little surprising here. And I'm going to be asking you what you think about this very soon and what David decides to do. What does he decide to do? Well, let's see in chapter 27. Then David said in his heart, now I shall perish one day by the hand of Saul. There is nothing better for me than I should escape to the land of the Philistines. Then Saul will despair of seeking me any longer within the borders of Israel and I shall escape out of his hand. Now, this stage in David's life, this wandering and all that he has had to go through is going to come to a climax, a peak, the climax of the story here very soon. And we're actually gonna see a contrast in the current king and the future king and them trusting and rejecting God. And we're gonna see who wins out in the end. The future king trusts God. The current king has rejected God's work in his life. Who is going to be the one that God blesses? And that is going to be abundantly clear by the end of 1 Samuel, as we get to the end of 1 Samuel. And we're going to see again here, a future king, David, shepherds his people well. David is assessing, how can I best serve God and also take care of my men and their families In the midst of a dangerous situation, two responsibilities that all of us have, our responsibilities toward man and our responsibilities toward God. And David is assessing, I know I need to serve God still. I know I need to take care of my men and their families. I need to shepherd them. How can I best do that in the midst of a dangerous situation and also assessing all the resources that God had given me? has given me to this point. He's obviously, when it says, he said in his heart, he is taking time to really reflect through this and make a carefully thought out decision. An extreme decision though, it's gonna be advantageous, advantageous, but it's um, daring for his army. It's a daring idea here. I should also add that it seems like it was very well thought out. And he's gonna continue. So let's look at it again. I shall one day perish by the hand of Saul. So David, first of all, is wise. He's not trusting Saul's promise to leave him alone because Saul hasn't proven himself trustworthy. So David says, sooner or later, um, if I continue this course of reacting to Saul's pursuit, it is going to eventually spell disaster for me, for my family, and for my men we can't keep living like this sooner or later Saul is going to find us and so I need to assess is there a better way a better situation that will help us and he says there's nothing better there's no better way basically at this point than I should escape to the land of the Philistines wait a minute does that conjure up a question mark in your mind hasn't he tried this before and it was a disaster well what's going on now um he's looking to seek help again from the philistines why to escape the constant pressure that he's under saul's constantly seeking after him and another thing is interesting thing in this narrative as we go it seems as if um God has disappeared from the scene altogether. He's not mentioned at all. So David's planning to go over to the Philistines. And God's not mentioned at all. What should we think about this plan of David's? I'm going to throw that out to you. See if you've ever thought through this. And um, I'm going to take a perspective that you that you may not agree with. I mean, personally, some of you may, some of you may not. Um, as far as why things going on here, the applications will be the same. But uh, it's okay to, to differ on what's going on here. So what do you think? First time David went to the Philistines, that was a disaster. Second time? We'll see. Yeah. So I see in verse 1, um, it's not recorded for us whether he did or didn't you know, consult the Lord on this,
1: so I can't be dogmatic. But when I do see something like that, it's a reminder for me. When something comes up in my life, it is good. To consult with god to ask him so i would learn even from this whether david did or didn't the application for me is certainly to
0: consult god in the midst of things certainly trust in him um not saying right or wrong um uh, should i go over to or the, end, right, the
1: philistines yeah uh to do this like certainly god needs to be leading uh in that in that way so it's certainly a reminder for me to
0: trust God. Am I trusting God? Um, am I following his will? Uh, things of that nature. Yeah. Yeah. And Rob's already um, stepped into one of my final applications. And that's that's exactly right. Turn this up. So you guys on Zoom can interact. So that that's good. Regardless of what's going on with David here, it's a good reminder to us. Seek God. Especially something this important. My two uh, responsibilities, the reasons I'm here on this earth, to serve God, to minister faithfully to him, to take care of responsibilities with my family, with with other people. Uh, Certainly, I need to be checking with God and assessing with him in, in the picture on those important things. So very good. All right, anybody else have a better, I have not a better, but uh, a little bit more of an idea whether you think this is a wise choice or unwise? We have the basic principle that Rob spelled out for us regardless, but in David's aspect particularly, is this a good plan? I don't think so. You don't think so, Ben? Okay. All right. Well, you either got to fall into camp, city either it is or isn't. So Bev's in that one camp, and, and good people differ on this. So don't feel bad if I differ a little bit as well.
1: There's an interesting number of personal pronouns in the first verse, mm. and David said, "In his heart, I shall now, and then I should speedily, and Saul soul shall spare me, and I escape." Um, seek seek me anymore, and I said he's having a little bit of eye trouble. Yeah,
0: yeah, that's and that's that's very good, Kurt. And I I read this, um, and that does concern me. Uh, there's a lot of eyes in there, um. So I I do take that into consideration. Even the fact that David said it in his heart, it just seems to be focused on his own opinion but I'm going to add to that here in a minute.
1: In every other instance where there's an interaction between a believer and the world, there's always this uh, warning or uh, sense of something's going wrong. Especially when you use a phrase like uh, David said in his heart. Well, there's an absence of God, like you said, and where is he getting the ideas from? In almost every other case, where, where uh, one went willingly to the enemy, it didn't end up well, even in David's own experience previously, where they had no uh, choice, but uh, it's captivity, it's not by their own destination it's their own doing, but God allowed that to happen. So it worked out because God planned everything for them,
0: none of that showing here in this narrative. Hmm. It's true. And whenever whenever we have a narrative like this where God is not mentioned at all, he's seemingly out of the picture, we have to tread carefully on what we decide. Now, I'm going to, Steffi's going to say something here in just a minute. I will say that I'm my interpretation here is going to be a little bit different from what some of you have mentioned, and I'll give an explanation for that. But Steffi, go ahead. I'm
1: not going to decide. But, <laughs> but just, I've heard it said, uh, you know, sometimes something can seem logical, but it may not be theological. So while it may have been a, a very logical choice, of you know, he's not going to chase us there; if we're safe there. It doesn't necessarily mean that it's
0: God's will. Yeah, and that's true, and that's true, and that's probably that. That's what you all are focused on here is something that I do consider carefully. It does concern me. Certainly don't want to say this ends up being a good plan in a lot of ways, but it's not just because it's a good plan. It, w- it worked out. It means it was God's way. We have to be- differentiate between those two. We may be very um, intuitive and able to come up with a way forward, but if we haven't submitted it to God, we we could still f- find ourselves in real trouble, um, and so yes, uh, Sandy.
1: So when he went to GAF the first time, how many were with him?
0: Just himself. So he was he by was himself. With an army of six hundred, right? Yeah. So there's strength in numbers. Yeah, <laughs> true. That's very practical, but there is strength in numbers. Uh, interesting that Akish is willing to 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 bring him in, and there's reasons for that. Well, let's just ask, let's look at this again. What's David's two responsibilities to specifically now to obey God and wiping out the enemies from the land. Remember the prophet Gad came to David earlier on in his wanderings and said, you need to stop hiding out here. God wants you to take care of the Philistines and the enemies because King Saul's not doing his job. And David, you're going to be the future king. So you do the job that Saul's not willing to do. I know Saul's chasing you. I'll protect you. You take care of the enemies. Saul's not doing an effective job at that. That was God's mission to David while he's hiding from Saul. So that's one of David's responsibilities to continue to deal with the enemies, wipe them out from the land, uh, remove the enemy strongholds in in the land. And that was a command of God all the way back when the people first entered the land if you'll remember all the way back in joshua joshua as he was leading did a good job of following god's command and then after he died the people not so much they did a pretty pathetic job of clearing the land and david from what we can tell here knows god's law well knows god's expectations and he goes beyond just dealing with the philistines in this narrative but now he's he's First of all, he's dealing with Saul's failings in this narrative. We're going to see him dealing with the nation's failings and dealing with enemies that the nation should have dealt with. So he has that responsibility. And then the second responsibility to shepherd his own flock of people that God had given him people under his care. He had to make sure they were taken care of. Okay. Um, Can he fulfill that responsibility in the current trend of events? Being totally, um, you know, at the mercy of Saul, running away from a human standpoint, not very effectively. He's really struggling with carrying out those two responsibilities from a practical standpoint very effectively when he's constantly on the run. Okay, the second aspect does God seek, does David seek God's face in this matter? We don't know, but at this stage in his life, would you not agree with me that he has an established pattern of seeking God? The author has made that clear, and he's also accumulated a multiple godly advisors, Prophet Gad, the priest um, that ran from Nob the one um his name escaped my mind. I keep thinking of Hinnom, and that's david's wife but um uh, Abiath, yes, thank you, Abiathar um, And he has Abigail He has multiple godly Counselors with him I think there's a good chance here That David that, And it, it's not like the author has to tell us Every time that, God's, that David seeks God's face If there's an established pattern Why not then just expect that David has done that in this situation We're not told that he didn't And it's an established pattern So I think it seems best to accept, based on the details of David's plan, that he did seek counsel from wise people and from God. God's plan and what uh, David's plan and God's plan is forwarded in this move. And God doesn't hinder David from doing this. Not that that's always a sign that God approves, but a lot of other times in this narrative when David has gotten ready to do something foolish, God has said, no, David don't do it this time God doesn't do that so God gives him success in this and Saul pursues him no longer let's look back at uh, verse one what's his purpose nothing better for me than I should escape to the land of the Philistines then Saul will despair of seeking me any longer within the borders of Israel and I shall escape out of his hand so David arose and went over he and the 600 men who were with him to Achish, the son of Maok, king of Gath. It seems the same king that he had went to before, and this time the king accepts him. Interestingly, this madman that he had kicked out before. Well, what's going on with that? Well, David has a track track record now. Don't don't think that the Philistines don't know that David's been on the run and that David has successfully evaded the king. And most likely, King Achish says, "Oh yeah, David. Well." He he is on the run from the king. He's a renegade, and if he wants to help me, well, why not? He's obviously not loyal to his own people anymore. Sure, David, we'll we'll take your help because David has a track record and they've seen him and, and watched him. So most likely Akish is happy about the idea of a renegade. And and they know they probably heard that wonderful song that the ladies probably still singing. Saul has um killed his thousands and David his 10,000s and they're like we get the guy that killed the 10,000 soldiers yeah we'll we'll take him he's the powerhouse he's stronger than Saul certainly we'd be glad to have his help so David lived at Gath he and his men every man with his household and David with his two wives Ahinoam of Jezreel and Abigail of Carmel Nabal's widow and David's plans effective When it was told Saul that David had fled to Gath, he no longer sought him. What does that verse also tell us? That King Saul was still seeking David, right? So much for the promise. David was right. He was wise. God had given him wisdom. And yet when Saul hears that David (coughs) has crossed over into Philistine territory, Saul says, all right, nothing more I can do with him and pursues him no longer. Saul's. Pursuit of David finishes, stops at that point. Now, is David going to be satisfied living in a pagan city? Verse 5, then David said to Achish, if I have found favor, the King James says, grace in your eyes, let a place be given me in one of the country towns that I may dwell there. For why should your servant dwell in the royal city with you? So that day Achish gave him Ziklag. Therefore, Ziklag had belonged to the kings of Judah to this day. And the number of days that David lived in the country of the Philistines was a year and four months. You see, David's not content to stay in the metropolis of Gath. Unlike Lot, who is more than willing to settle there and just um, enjoy all of the heathen pagan practices. I'm confident that David's there saying, I, I can't lead a family in this kind of environment i can't leave men and raise a family in the environment of the heathen philistines this 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 isn't going to work so he's got a plan phase two of his plan and on an extremely practical level david does not want to continually use up the resources of the philistines in the city he realizes that he's only going to be a welcome guest for so long there's so many practical aspects to this chapter But it reminds me, you know, when somebody does something nice for you, thank them for it. But don't continually depend upon that person as if they're going to be able to continue that over a long period of time. Even when someone invites you over to their home. um, I know this may be this isn't a direct application, but it comes to my mind. Just don't overstay your welcome. Just be wise in your dealings with other people. David's very wise here. And he says, you know, sooner or later. We're not going to be as well-loved in the city if we're using up all their resources. And he goes to the king and says, hey, we don't want to get in your guys' way. Why don't you give us, is there a town that we can live in locally? We can be independent of you all. We can be independent on our own resources. And Akish, of course, uh, would realize the benefits of having David in his country, helping him. And I'll say with a caveat, so he thinks. see that in a minute. But at the same time, not accessing important resources of the city. So he gives him this town, the town of Ziklak. And from what we can see, the narrator says it continued to be a city that the kings inhabited, maybe a summer home or whatever, for a long time. It was closer to the coast, whatever. Um, As the author's writing this, he's saying this is still a city that the kings take advantage of. So now David is able to live in the land of the Philistines, safe from the pursuit of Saul and away from the scrutiny of the Philistine king. And he's able to refill his, fulfill his responsibility of being a good shepherd to his people. So he has a secure place to live, it says here, for over a year. All of these details, to me, says that David thought this out well. He wasn't, remember the first time, It wasn't well thought out at all. He was desperate. He's running to the enemy. He has Goliath's sword. I mean, all the wrong context and and all um, just, uh, he he obviously had not sought God's direction at that point. This is an entirely different thing. David knows his reputation with the Philistines. Um, He knows the situation with his own family, his own responsibilities. It seems in my mind that This is a well-thought-out plan that God had led him to. And now he's fulfilled his responsibilities with the people, but now he's also able to fulfill his responsibilities with God and continuing to wipe out the strongholds of the enemy while they're living there in Ziklag. Verse 8, now David and his men went up and made raids against the Geshurites, the Gerzites, and the Amalekites. For these were the inhabitants of the land from of old. As far as sure to the land of Egypt, the fact that these people, these enemies were of old residents, points to the fact that the people of God of old had not dealt with them. And so David now goes beyond just cleaning up and, and taking on the responsibilities of Saul. He even goes further and is now um, if I could put it this way, he is purifying the land, making it more holy in the way that the Israelites, his nation, had refused to do for centuries. David is a man committed to God, and he wants um, to see um, God's commands carried out. So David is purifying the land. He's far enough away from Akish though that he's able um, to kind of shield or or hide. What he's doing, look at verse 9, and David would strike, or the good old King James word, he smote the land, and would neither leave men nor woman alive, but would take away the sheep, the oxen, the donkeys, the camels, and the garments, and come back to Achish. Now, here we have that very awkward, difficult aspect of what this holy war meant, and that when God called his people to wipe out the enemies of the land, he really, in many cases... um, He directed them to totally wipe out the enemy, men and women, and even children sometimes. It is a um, horrible reality, but at the same time, it was something that God expected for a specific purpose. He wanted the land holy, removed from pagan people with pagan influences that, let's not kid ourselves here, folks, these pagan people practice great wickedness. They slaughtered their own children many times. They did horrible things. All you have to do even is think about Lot in the city and um, the angels delivering Lot and his family away from that. And then his daughters were so immersed in the customs and some of the uh, terrible things that that they did with Lot. Um, These were people, these pagan peoples were involved in great wickedness and the land had to be cleansed and these people had to be dealt with. And David was willing to do this because of his love for God and faithfulness to God. But he's careful. He's wise in this. And he takes all of the spoils and he splits it with Achish. And then he also takes some for himself. So he's providing for his people. He's shepherding them. But how does he handle the fact that he's taking these from allies of Achish? Well, he doesn't lie here, let's be clear. But he doesn't tell Akish everything. And because Akish wants to know the details. Wow, David, look at all this stuff, all these spoils. How'd you do it? Who'd you who'd you kill? And he says, "Where have you made a raid today?" is really what that Hebrew uh, means there that phrase and David would say, "Um, against the Negev of Judah or against the Negev of the Geron Jer- or against the Negeb of the Kedites, he's saying, oh, we went over to this region over here and dealt with the enemy. <clears throat> My enemy, not yours, but he doesn't tell them that. <laughs> and then he goes, and we went over to this area and we dealt with the enemy there. He gives them just enough details um, to um, uphold or to reinforce the confidence and faith of the king without giving him all the details. So he tells partial truths to the heathen king without revealing all their actions. One more question here as we finish up um, this. Is it dishonest to always hold back the full truth? Here's a moral question here. Sometimes some people may um, take this particular tact or or idea that it's, it's always dishonest to hold back the full truth. I would say not necessarily. Um, it is wrong if um, you are being dishonest and misrepresenting an, a, an act of sin or something that you've done by, I'll give you a, a perfect example, something that comes to mind uh, even in families. When um, parents ask their children, how did such and such happen? And the children let them know how it happened but kind of leave out the details that they had a part in it. Well, that's being deceptive. That's being dishonest, right? And so that would be wrong. But let's take the other side of this. Let's say a pastor is counseling and it's um, very, it needs to be very secretive from the standpoint of the person that's being counseled. Um, he's given certain details that only he's supposed to know. But because of that, He's because of something that he's done on that counseling situation. Um, he's able to lead the church in a specific way and do something for the church, um, but he doesn't have to give them all of the details of what has happened in in particularly with particular people and counseling them or whatever. They don't have to know every aspect of of what someone has relayed to him in order to move forward. I don't know if that makes sense, but you get situations where a pastor has to be careful with the details or personal details about somebody's life, but also they can move forward on something related to the church and the direction of the church without having to let those personal details out. And that's not being deceptive. It's, it's being careful with people's personal information. So all I'm saying is here, I don't think that David in this was being dishonest. I wouldn't say he was lying. He was practically saying what he needed to to make this work. Now you may come down a little bit differently on that, and that's fine. But in the end here, David is able to fulfill his responsibilities to man and God and cleanse the land, making it more holy than before with the removal of pagan people um, who practice great wickedness. And it provided security for his people by establishing a growing trust with King Achish, who believe that David has now become a full renegade against his own countrymen? Look at the rest of that. Um, verse 11. And David would leave neither man nor woman alive to bring news to Gath, thinking, lest they should tell about us and say, So David has done. Another practical aspect of him wiping out all the enemy, they can't tell tales. And so nobody knows. Such was his custom all the while he lived in the country of the Philistines. And Achish trusted David, thinking, He has made himself an utter stench to his people of Israel. Therefore, he shall always be my servant. He's got Achish's full trust, and yet he's still following after God and cleansing the land, and he's fulfilled his responsibilities. So I come down on this, that David was seeking after God. The details of this plan match somebody who sought God's wisdom. There's much wisdom in this. I think only could have come from God and God's protection. However, as we finish here, I'll say this. God's not going to allow David a full sense of stability and accomplishment. He's going to be tested again here. Look at the beginning of verse 28 or chapter 28. In those days the Philistines gathered their forces for war to fight against Israel, and Achish said to David, Understand that you and your men are to go out with me in the army. Achish is thinking, I've got the Superman here. I've got David, and we can defeat Israel now. David, you don't have a choice. You're going with me. And David said to Achish, Achish, notice how he puts this. Very well, you shall know what your servant can do. Talk about vague there, right? We'll see more about this next week. And Achish said to David, very well, I will make you... Um, the King James says, keeper of mine head. That's a great picturesque way of basically describing a bodyguard. I'm going to make you my bodyguard for life. Uh-oh, what's David going to do now? Stay tuned, and we'll see you next week. <laughs> so a couple applications here, folks. Number one, we have a responsibility to God and to men. And we, and even as Rob mentioned earlier, we need to assess our time and resources to faithfully fulfill both equally and seeking god's direction and how to do that regardless of whether david did or not it's a reminder to us always seek god's direction and a responsible servant will access what god has given them and how can they can best use those resources to be most useful by the way another ministry question here um, should we give should a man give more time to ministry and just say, God will take care of my family. That used to be a ministry equation not too long ago. Many men, many pastors would say, I'm going to devote most of my time to ministry and God will take care of my family. I think there's a picture here of David where, folks, it's clear both sides have to be represented well. It's not either or. It's not one that's greater than the other. But as a pastor and as ministry leaders, it's both in the same amount. In fact, I would probably go a little bit, maybe just a touch over on on family to make sure that uh, I'm taking care of my family, ultimately, but also making sure I'm responsible in my ministry with God. Um, David has a good balance here, and we should have a good balance as we go forward. Both are important, equally important. Number two. In a wicked, dangerous world, we must be as wise as serpents and as harmless as doves. So we need to contemplate how we can, in good conscience, be faithful to God's commands and still raise our families in a godly and safe environment. As this world continues to get more wicked, folks, we have to pray, Lord, help me to be careful. Help me to protect my family, but help me also to be true to your word. And God's going to have to give us wisdom in that. I think he gave David much wisdom in this and how to do that effectively. We need to ask him on how to do that as as our culture encroaches and threatens the way that we even raise our families. We have to be wise. We have to seek God's wisdom in this, and he'll give it. And then God will provide ways to be a testimony to our community while still serving him in purity and holiness. I'm convinced he will do that when we seek that. So let's seek his ways tonight. Let's ask him for wisdom and how best to deal with church ministry in a dark and wicked world. And God will give us that way. He will show us the right ways in that too.